How's everybody doing? You ready to vote Tuesday? No, it wasn't enough enthusiasm, so I have the right word for you today. I'm going to talk about politics today. Politics in a church! Yes, we are. But not politics, because we want nothing to do with that spirit. But we are governmental. If I was going to ask you a question of what category of life the church belongs in, does the church primarily belong in a religious category, or does it belong in a governmental category? Those of you who have been around for a while and have been around on some of the Wednesday nights that have taught on this already know the answer, but how many of you vote the church is a religious organization? How many of you vote this is a governmental organization? How many of you are afraid to raise your hands because you feel like it's a trick question? And you still won't raise your hands even at that. <laughs> we are a governmental organization. We are made for government. It's the entire purpose of the church is to be the governmental hand of God in the earth. How governments of nations operate is completely dependent on how much the church recognizes not only our anointing but our responsibility to be involved in that. The, the church is first of all a governmental institution so all of the members of the church must be involved in governing a nation. Now, I'm grateful to God, and I'm going to share some things today. Hope you don't mind. Uh, that, this would be a good day if you've never heard this stuff before. Start taking some notes, because this is the kind of thing that needs to be remembered. If we're a religious organization, then what's important is that we fill this room with worshipers every Sunday who give glory to God and go about their lives in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, if that's all we are. And for many revivals and many outpourings of the Spirit through history, the church has made the mistake of allowing the, the move of God to become ingrown, where we just have a happy, clappy time with Jesus, and hey, you know, the world, well, our job for the world is to bring them into the church. Folks, the church has left the building, and we're living in a day and age, and I'm grateful to God for the shoulders on which we sit, all of those who have gone before us, who have made a way so that we've again got the right revelation of what the church is about. We're the representation of God's authority in the earth. We are the people of God who now have come to a fresh understanding of we're restored back to how we were in the beginning. Adam and Eve, the first thing that God said to them about their divine purpose, first he told Adam, here's a garden, cultivate it and keep it, meaning tend to it, make it bear fruit, and protect it. Well, what did he have to protect it from? At that point, there was no sin. It was brand new. But God knew, I'm giving you, Adam, responsibility. And the Eve, who was pulled out of Adam, you're both going to have responsibility to rule over all the works of my hands. That's right at the beginning. We are first and foremost, every one of us, created by God to be the governing people of planet Earth. That's the intent from the beginning. All the curse of sin came along, all the centuries of dysfunction and all these kind of things happened. And then God in Christ said, I'm restoring. The last Adam is going to bring a new race in the earth. They're going to be even better than the Adam that came before because now they have the Spirit of God on the inside of them and they will represent me, represent, represent me to a world that's forgotten who they are. That's our primary ministry and our primary mission. So, we may wish to avoid politics. How many of you, as soon as you hear that word, something and you just go, nah. Anybody else? 
That does me. I've been around politics, and I'm going to make a very careful distinction here enough times, and every organization has it. And by politics, literally what the word has come to mean now is the fine art of manipulating people to your will. That's what politics is about. Using the levers of control, being clever, being wise sometimes. How many know cleverness is just wisdom that's been turned for personal gain? And there have been those that we've elected into office in the United States, those who have come into positions of power who are politicians. We are looking for men and women who are leaders. We can't shirk our responsibility to govern just because we've gotten frustrated at politics. So this is not a political message today. I don't believe that Christians should operate in the world of politics. I believe that we should be raised up and we should see to it that those that have offices of authority, which is the blessing of living in our kind of country, that we should see to it that we have governors who are after God's own heart. Men and women of confident authority who understand what righteousness means, who understand what their role is as a leader, not to lord over the people, but to serve the people. That we are those who need to raise the bar on what it is that we're looking for and those that we've elected to go and govern on our behalf. And that's why the, the proverb says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, people groan. And I used to read that because of the King James translation of it. it. It's translated, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, people groan. But actually, I've dug into that word in the NASB translation. Sorry to geek out on Bible translation for you, but sometimes it's really important because there's a principle in this. When the righteous increase, the word literally means they multiply. When, when righteous people, meaning people who have submitted their lives to God, who fear God more than they fear men, who fear God more than they fear consequences of acting righteously, when such a people increase in the earth, everybody is glad. All the people rejoice. It's the whole, you know, when the tide rises, all the boats rise with it. The righteousness of God, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. If we remember who we are and we increase in the earth, all the people are happy. You guys okay? I know I'm feeling a little loud today, but I'm very excited about this because I believe God's doing some extraordinary things in our nation right now. And today I am mainly talking about our nation, all the nations. I shared a series years ago, uh, Every Nation Under God. And I still believe that that is absolutely true. He's come to receive the nations as his inheritance. Amen? So it's our responsibility to present as our nation. We're citizens first of heaven, yeah, but we're also citizens of the United States of America, and that's with intention. God did that on purpose. We were born into this nation, most all of us. I don't, do we have any immigrants here? And our Canadians been deported. <laughs> He'll be back. Who else is an immigrant in here? Who are you pointing at? Well, that's right. You're from Liberia, aren't you? <laughs> but you are now adopted and you are now welcome to being a U.S. citizen. We are citizens and if we increase and therefore increase our influence, several of our good righteous presidents have pointed out that with our governing structure, there is no excuse, no excuse to have unrighteous governing. No excuse to have unrighteousness in leadership. Why? Because the people literally choose who will serve in those offices. Now, where have we fallen short as a church? For one thing, we believed, hey, we got to pull out of politics. We got no business in that. We have church to run, and we have the kingdom of heaven 
to advance and preach in the earth and such a notion, I, un- I get it, I understand that. And when I listen to, like, I- I'll catch every once in a while, like I'll listen to a little bit of talk radio to kind of, let me hear another perspective because everybody else says the same thing, like, like they're just cut and pasted their report. I want to hear another perspective on this. And after about 15 minutes of it, I feel like I need extra blood pressure medicine. Because it's just so agita, and, and it's what Jesus referred to as the leaven of Herod. The leaven of Herod, it's this political spirit, and it, it gets in there, and it makes us begin to entertain the notion that we could have a righteous end through unrighteous means, like manipulation, cutting people down. I mean, I can't even watch TV with the ads. Like, two weeks before an election? Forget it. I just get so annoyed, even at the ones for the guy I'm going to vote for. His attack ads or her attack ads on the other guy. I'm like, really? That, that is exactly, if I were the accuser of the brethren, that's the ad I would make to describe that guy. And we, and we begin to play into it. And we get wrapped up in that. That's why it's leaven. A little bit of it gets in there. So if you've been feeling your blood pressure rise, peace be to you in the name of Jesus. And remember that the government, Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before he came, the government will be upon his shoulders. It still is upon his shoulders to this day. It always will be on his shoulders to this day. The really every generation just has an opportunity and in our nation more than any other in history. We have opportunity just like that to turn it around. Yeah, I believe our government is in need of a major pruning. I think we need a master husbandman to get in there and untangle this mess that's been created. Oh, wow. <laughs> Let there be light. I'm ready to preach. <laughs> that there is a tangled mess and been politi- there's been a political spirit woven in to the halls of our government really since the first generation. But it's not the seed that established it. And that's what I want to share some things about with you today. Because if we're going to pray, which we are, we're going to close by getting on our face before God and we're going to cry out to God for our country today. We're two days away from an election. It's always an important time. Everything that we do in that ballot box, that is us using our voice. Yeah, we're only one of 300-something million. I forget, it's like 150 registered, 150 million registered voters, something like that. And we're only one voice each in that place, but it is a voice. We might be a voice crying out in the wilderness. We might feel like Elijah sometimes, like, does anybody else get it? Am I the only one that could see how crazy it is out there? No, you're not. We all see it. Every righteous one, every wise one who has God in mind can see what's going on out there. And I'm gonna, I, I just can't exhort you strongly enough. You, you need to get to that ballot box and cast your vote. I was hoping there'd be a stronger amen than that. I was waiting. That was one of those, come on, preach it, Pastor. That's right. I'm going to take my, I'm going to drag my friend down. God, man, I'll harvest ballots. No, I won't. I'm just kidding. I won't, we won't do that. That kind of thing. Here's the principle of government, all right? I want to biblically just share some things, what the scriptures say about government, because we do live in a nation that's under God. We live in a nation that was founded on purpose to be under God. We are the only nation since Israel which was established by those who made covenant with God in the seed and founding of the nation. And I need to prove that to you sometimes. I think we need to look at the word of God. I'll just share some things from that First generation, 1789, Constitutional Convention, uh, 76, when the Declaration was written. There were some things that happened. And you know, I, I love history, you know that. But I think for me, history takes a life on it when I begin to view it as an extension of the Scriptures. Because how many of you know the Old Testament is two-thirds history? 
When you read those scriptures, it's history. You are reading the story, his story, of his workings among his people, his chosen people, Israel. He, he chose them, and there's certain things that happen, and we look to those for lessons. We look to those now. We, we look to those to learn how to live life. We look to those to understand God's ways and how he deals not just with individuals, but with nations. This is one thing the church, I believe, we need to come into a more, a more mature expression of, is that when we hear preaching or we listen to you know, podcasts or we read the scriptures, we tend to think very individualistically about it. What does this have to do with me? And then we start traveling down a road like this is what that scripture means to me. Whether it does mean that or not, it's irrelevant. It's what it means to me that matters. And before you know it, we can rewrite the word of God. But, but I think we need to also be reading and understanding the word of God, uh, how it speaks to us as a people group, the corporate man, which is the body of Christ, and how it speaks to our nation. We need to be learning lessons from the scriptures on what governing looks like and what God's expecting from governments of the nations of the earth. So it says in uh, Acts, Paul was preaching in Athens, and he, he made some profound statements in that. It's a really amazing message. But he said this about Adam. He, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live over the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Yes, borders matter. Yes, they do. It doesn't matter what party or what politician or government leader says what. Borders matter and God has established borders. They're not unrighteous. They're not selfish. It's not wrong to say here's the boundary of this people group who has covenant with each other and we have a government to enforce that covenant. That's not ungodly or wrong. Unfortunately, that needs to be said in our day and age. There is a movement out there that says, no, nah, man, just live wherever you want. Where do you get borders from? You know, people just live wherever you want to live, like it was back in the day. Well, this is 2,000 years old. And Paul revealed what God's heart was. He appointed times, meaning there's a beginning and end. You know that there is an end also for every nation on earth. I don't agree and I don't subscribe to and I certainly won't pray along with those who are so-called prophesying that the end is near for the United States of America. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe God has an expected end and we haven't gotten there yet. Any more than he's done with the church yet. Has the church failed and fallen on our face? Yeah, we have. A lot of times, embarrassingly sometimes. Sometimes I'm reading through church history and hearing what Christian leaders have said through the years and I just, you know, oh, oh, oh. Did he really say, I hope he didn't really say that. I hope that's just fake news. I, I don't know. I don't want to believe that somebody in Christ could ever utter those kind of words or believe that thing. But yeah, it's happened. There are appointed times for things. Though God's not through with the church. He's not through with the United States of America. He's not through with many nations. He's got a plan and a purpose that all the nations at some point will be presented before him. What's the inheritance of the Lord? Ask of me, the Father said to the Son, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. We are part of the inheritance of Jesus. So imagine you are like a father who's storing up an inheritance for your children. You're gonna take care of that. You're gonna watch over it. You're gonna cultivate it because you wanna bless your kids, right? You wanna give them the most you could possibly give them uh, as an inheritance. And so it is for us, our heart toward God is, you know what, Jesus, I wanna give you the best United States you've ever seen. I want to give you a United States that makes the founding fathers generation look like they had no idea 
what righteousness looked like. I wanna, I wanna give you a nation, Jesus, of 350, whatever, 400 million people whose hearts are towards you in so much of a way that we're still the desire of nations. People wanna come here and flood the border and live in a place of such glory and such godliness. Are you guys okay? Am I talking too loud today? Because you're being unusually quiet and that's fine. I'm gonna just get over that and keep reading. What's the purpose then? Why did God establish times and boundaries for nation? Here it is right here. That they would seek God. That they would seek God. Why did God allow nations to happen? Yeah, no idea. We're just one big happy family, right? Adam and Eve and their kids and they reproduce, multiply, they fill the earth and we're one big happy family. And it hadn't happened like that. I mean, it got so bad in 10 generations, God said, you know what? Reset. Noah, your family, everybody else, we'll go start over again with a seed from the, the former world that got so bad and, and, and that. But the purpose of nations is to seek God, if perhaps so grope for him and find him, though he's now far from each one of us. That is the biblical definition, God's heart, about the purpose of a nation. It's to create an opportunity for people to find God. So how will a nation be judged when, you know, the parable of the sheep and the goats, how Jesus said, and the nations will uh, appear before him as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats and the nations will stand. How will a nation be judged? I think the simplest answer is right here before us. In your nation, was it easy for people to find me? Or did the governing authority of your nation make it difficult for people to find me and serve me and love me? and live in the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, which is the kingdom of God. That's the judgment for nations. So for our nation, we take that personally. We can send and we can go and we could bless other nations. We could go other places with the good news of the kingdom of heaven, demonstrating light and being salt. We can do all of that, but in our nation right here, the divine purpose is to be a vehicle by which its inhabitants can easily find God. That's our purpose. So as you pray, as I hope you do for our nation, that's how, I, that's how I pray for the church. That's how I pray for our region. Lord, would you make Millersburg and Lycans Valley a place where it's easy to know the Lord? Would you make it the kind of place where people just say, I just love God and I don't even understand why. Could you tell me about what's that guy's name? Jesus. Would you please tell me because there's something about living here that makes me feel closer to God. A God I don't even understand. That's God's dream, that's God's vision for our nation, for every nation. But for our nation we're talking about today, that is still God's plan. That's why blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he's chosen for his own inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Meaning there is a core at least, if not an entire nation, who say the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of this nation. We are not among those that Psalm 2 described conspiring against the anointed one, the one that God set up on his throne, but we're the ones who say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed are all those that Psalm ends who put their trust in him. I mean, it's written on our money, and God we trust, that's not a minor thing. We, we all grew up with that, we're so used to it. That is a declaration, every time you spend a buck. Is it on all the, all the bills or just the one? And God we trust. It's on all of them. Thank you. I knew you would know that. It's on all of them. So every time you spend money, instead of being like, ah, oh, inflation, Ben Franklin keeps saying bye. You know how money talks? Ben, Ben's like, see ya. <laughs> instead of complaining about it, go, you know what? And God we trust. That's our national motto. And God we trust. 
I know it's e pluribus unum, but I like that one better. <laughs> Out of many, one. In God we trust. Every time we spend money, we are declaring it. We are transacting that declaration around. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So if God is the Lord of a nation, that means people have submitted themselves to the governing authority of governing authorities, to the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords, right? That's why, you know, I just want to make sure I say this. I've been criticized by some on either end of it. Hey, you don't talk about government or politics enough. And then there's some like, why do, you, why do you keep talking about government and politics? I don't know. Just share whatever Jesus wants to share. Because we're going to stay on mission no matter what. Because no matter what happens Tuesday, the kingdom of heaven is going to keep forcefully advancing. I'm going to tell you right now, whether we're crying tears of joy or tears of sorrow on Tuesday, Tuesday night or Wednesday morning or five weeks from now that they finish counting, but whenever it happens, <laughs> no, sorry, whenever it happens that we have the final results of things, sorry, that we're going to know no matter what the kingdom of heaven, I'm telling you, I know, how many of you love history? Just, that's a real show of hands. Okay, how many of you are like, history? Are you can't yuck, right? <laughs> okay, that's fine. History, and that's fine. You don't all need to geek out. Like, even in preparing for today and times I've shared about the founding of our nation, like, I ain't got time to read the Federalist Papers. You know, I'm not that big of a history geek, although it's fascinating to some as they are. Ain't nobody got time for that. That's why I try to sum it up for you here. <laughs> but but uh, I just, when it comes to government, when it comes to the ideal when it comes to what is God seeking after, what will be the ideal situation when heaven and earth have become one? Do you know that there is no government in paradise? There is no governing authority, meaning people who rule over other people in paradise. Why? We don't need it. You don't need government if you are self-governed. The holy experiment, as William Penn put it, that became the United States of America is the proposition, can we have a nation that has such a limited government that people are just self-governed, that they have righteousness in their own heart, that they're directly accountable to the God of heaven and earth, and because of that, we don't need 4,000 federal laws. Do you know that's how many we have now? We don't need all these laws, just like how it was for the people of God. There could have been simplicity in their walk and relationship with God. God invited Israel into intimacy. They asked for a detailed covenant. 617 laws later, they had their law system. They had their legal system. God said, and Jesus boiled it back down. He said, you know, you only really need two out of all that. Everything else hangs on them. Love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else hangs on those two, those two laws. We just live by the law of love. So the default kind of government, the ideal is self-government. Paradise is no governing authority. Why? Because you don't need external control. This is what we try to impart to our kids, right? When they're younger, if you don't like me always telling you what to do, then just always do the right thing. I will never bug you again. Just do what's right. Do what's loving. Think of other people before yourself and I'll never have to say a word to you except what do you want for dinner? That could be our relationship. That's what we're growing into. Governing, the, the first governing authority that we have in life is our parents. And I just love the way God set it up, the way that God set up parenting, our initiation into authority, is that these people who have ultimate authority, like children, obey your parents in the Lord. That is the most intense, you do what they say, level of authority that there is. And yet, there's nobody who serves 
children more than their parents. Now, you may not realize that until you have some of your own, and then you find out what your parents were doing all those nights when, you know, it was like 10 o'clock at night and you were driving them crazy and couldn't understand why they were impatient with you. Oh, that's what you were doing all day before I got in your face about, I don't want to unload the dishwasher and, you know, whatever. <laughs> the, the government only exists because there's unrighteousness. See, I got an amen right there. The government only exists because unrighteousness exists. Where there is no unrighteousness, there's no more government. That is the framework by which our nation was established. It was an experiment. What do you think? Do you really believe this is possible? I mean, it's hard for us now because we've been 200, what are we at, 275-ish years. My math skills are not that quick. A lot of years we've been around as a nation. The first generation, when they were writing the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, it, had, it was genuinely unprecedented, the thought that people could live their lives without a king or some form of parliamentary government telling them, micromanaging their everyday lives. The thought was, well, perish the thought. Of course they can't. People need somebody to lead them. That was the thought. There was no nation ever established that didn't have the premise behind it. Government needs to control the people and tell the people how to live life. The premise of the U.S. and our founding, right from William Penn, founding the state of Pennsylvania all the way through. Why do you think Philadelphia was the spot where it all went down? Because William Penn and Pennsylvanians had been pioneering freedom the way we understand it now for a century already. And he knew, that's right. I've, he, he was in the Tower of London, locked up, and God was downloading to him what government should look like. And he was there as a, this Quaker locked up in prison for preaching the gospel. You do know that's the seed of our state, right? We got a firebrand preacher who was arrested and jailed for years for preaching Christ. Do you realize, I mean, that is no small thing. You're not as impressed with that as I am. There's a lot of different backgrounds you could come into a government office, like the first governor of 800 million acres, which was deeded to him by the King of England. Whether he had the right to do that or not, that's another question for another day. But he got that, and he's there in the Tower of London saying, whoa, we got a... This is, I might have an opportunity one day to do something and I'm gonna be ready for it. And he was ready for it when he was set free and the king gave him this big plot of land that we now call Pennsylvania. You know it was a name for William Penn, right? It was named for his father because the king had a debt owed to William Penn's father. And he said, here's 800 million acres and uh, 800,000, yeah, 800 million acres and take these stupid Quakers with you when you go. That's my only call. Just take them all with you to drive me crazy. The jails are full. Take them. So he said, all right. That's why we, we were the Quaker state. And that's, that's how they got here. And he founded it and did some amazing things. And Philadelphia became ground zero for the Great Awakening, which is the primary force that gelled 13 colonies together toward revolution, toward saying, you know what, King? You have no authority on this continent. You can't just claim it for yourself. We're going to be free and independent states. That all began with the Great Awakening. Philadelphia was the center. Where was the Declaration of Independence written? Philadelphia. Where was the Constitutional Convention? Philadelphia. Why? It was sanctified holy ground. Because somebody got a, got a revelation from heaven that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, people are free. They don't need external controls because now you got Holy Spirit on the inside telling you always what's right and wrong. So Deuteronomy says, do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Wait, did I finish that point? I just want to make sure I 
Yeah, I did. Um, has he, isn't, is he, is God not your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you. I want, I want to receive this today. Uh, it was spoken to Israel as Moses summed up the law. Deuteronomy means tell the law again a second time. It's a summary of all the law and ways of God. And Moses gave it as a gift to the people of Israel so they'd have one book to just kind of go through. If they memorize Deuteronomy, you understand all of God's ways under the covenant given to Moses. Um, is he not your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you. Remember the days of old. This is why history is important. You don't have to geek out and study it and read all of these and nows and the, I mean, they, they talked really long back then. You, you never complain that anything I ever preach is too long. Man, back, back in that day, you're just getting warmed up and that was just the first preacher. And then there are gonna be two and three and four. I mean, it went on and on. And even I'm like, all right, dude, make your point. Remember the days of old. Why? Consider the years of your generations. Ask your father and he will inform you. Ask your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave their nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the peoples. This is, again, we're going to come back now. This is a principle given in the law of Moses. And this is a principle that's just the center of all the governments of the nations, ours most especially. That it's God who set the boundaries of the peoples. As is proverb, do not remove the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. You shall not move your neighbor's boundary mark which the ancestors have set. Your inheritance which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God gave you to possess. And here's the foundational truth of our form of government that needs to be protected. People have fought for it, people have died for it, and there's a reason for it. It's not because, hey man, United States, USA, it's not because of that. It's not because of that. It's because this nation has opportunity more than anything that any nation has ever existed to make it easy for people to find the Lord. When you're living under shackles of bondage, I mean, we talk, uh, do you guys subscribe to Voice of the Martyrs or any magazines where you hear about the persecuted church around the world? You should. Just like how we all say, hey, I'm gonna bring my teenager somewhere where people are really, really poor. To, I wanna bring them to Honduras. I wanna bring them someplace so they can appreciate the blessing of what they have uh, back at home. I think that's, that's just important to do. But the Lord gave every person alive an inheritance and a possession that's theirs to cultivate, theirs to keep. So in ancient Israel, when they came into the promised land, all the tribes got their allotted portion of the land. And then within that, within the tribes, all the, all the clans and all the families got their portion. They had a plot of land that belonged to their family and it would be theirs forever. The year of Jubilee's purpose primarily was so that if you fell into debt, like let's say you had a, a bad times, you had a bad crop or you know, a famine or whatever, they came in and you lost your land, you had to sell it to, just to buy bread for yourself, that at the year of Jubilee, that land was returned back to you. That's how much God values, I've given you a possession. And even if one of your generations fails in some way or just falls on hard times, you're not gonna lose it forever because I gave that to you and nobody could take it away. That's the foundation of property rights and it's the foundation for being able to just live free because we have been given, each and every one of us, something from God. Nobody blessed us with that but God himself. So a biblical government protects individual rights by being stewards who are acting on behalf of the God who granted those rights. As it's been 
really well said and pointed out, and I'm going to read for you from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their government with uncertain unalienable rights. Wow, nobody going to stop me? <laughs> We've been endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That's the revelation. I'm reading the scriptures. That's the revelation that the framers saw. They said God gave every individual something and nobody could take it away. That's what unalienable means. You can't separate the person from the rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You can't take those away from a person. Why? Because that's God's inheritance to them. You tracking with me? Is this boring history? Or can you see it? Can you see what it would be like if today that was honored in all the halls of government from every level? Can you see what li- how awesome it would be? I sure can, and that motivates me Tuesday. I don't care how tired, sick, or whatever I am. I don't care if it rains, snows, sleet, hail, or gloom of night. I'm going to get to that ballot box and do my part because I believe it's worth protecting. It's unique. It's special. It is absolutely worth fighting. It's even worth dying for because it's not just about a nation. It's about a vehicle by which God's glory can go to everyone who occupies it. How blessed are the people whose God is the Lord living in a land where you could minister freely and live out your life in God. So the United States of America was the first government to expressly ground itself in those biblical principles. Were some of these applied in other nations beforehand? Yeah, they were. Some nations kind of accidentally stumbled into it. Some, like England and France, others who had had Christianity for a while, attempted to merge the scriptures in with their form of government. But it was kind of like trying to graft something into a tree that was already there. It wasn't in the root and foundation of it. You know, our our endeavors into nation building, for example. You know, we tried to impose democracy in Iraq. Well, they didn't have the foundation yet. They didn't have the roots. They didn't have the seed of having this life toward God. So it didn't work. And that's how it is all the time. And ours, though, God did something in a sovereign moment of history and established our nation in such a way that righteousness could be in the very root system of it. So the the Declaration of Independence is like our seed founding document as a nation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those three rights specifically. Among these, they're not all the rights that we have, but among these, these are the three key of all, the right to life. You go to the ballot box, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot pull the ballot for somebody who's fine with ripping limbs off of babies in the womb. You just cannot do it. It is impossible to put your voice, your prophetic voice from heaven, and say, I want that one to go and represent me in the government where laws will be passed that will enable infanticide to continue in our nation. If you're not as passionate about that as I am, there's a video you need to watch. It's called The Procedure. It was just put out. It's a, like a cartoonish demonstration of what happens in second trimester abortions. It is the most grotesque thing that's happened since the Nazis did their thing in Germany and in Poland. And for us to just sit back and say that is not a major issue, that is not a blight on our nation, it would be like those who advocated for slavery and the chains of slavery back in the day. 
and said, no, God says slavery is okay. It says slaves obey your masters. Twist the scriptures to your own end and mistreat people like that and abuse them the kind of way. We're all now today horrified about slavery. Can you imagine if somebody advocated for a Supreme and made it all the way to the Supreme Court and reinstituted slavery? Let's reinstitute Dred versus Scott decision. There's for you history geeks out there which said slavery was okay in a nutshell. Let's go back and do that. How horrified would we be today if somebody even proposed that? We, we gotta be equally horrified at those who are advocating for abortion on demand at any stage of pregnancy right up until birth. There was a doctor who was governor of the state of Virginia who said, what would you do if the baby was born and survived the abortion? We'd make him comfortable and let him die on the table. This is happening in the United States of America. One of the most grotesque things that ever happened in abortion happened right in Philadelphia in the Gosnell Clinic. And if you haven't seen the movie about all of that, see this is how the enemy works by keeping things in darkness. Suppress the story, be quiet about it, and just move on, nothing to see here. It's how the Nazis built death camps just a few miles away from thriving German towns who throughout the war say that they had no idea what was going on, that the, the smell of death and the smoke rising up in the sky that never got your attention enough. I'm sorry, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not sorry. That I'm passionate about this. There is no way in, in, in heaven and on earth that a believer should use your vote and your voice to put people in office who will propose and continue that practice. And the only way the devil got away with it for 50 years, thank God we live in a day where that's been overturned. And now you realize, though, with the new case that just, the, the, yeah, we always talk about how, all right, the Supreme overturned Roe v. Wade with the Casey case, but that doesn't mean abortion's now illegal. Now it's, all that did was put the power back in the states. So when I'm speaking about this, I'm talking on every level of government. If we're casting our vote for somebody who is for that, it's not just one issue. And it's not just an issue of morality, as some call it. It is a central issue. How can a nation be blessed that allows infanticide to go on in its hospitals and in its medical clinics? How could we possibly think that it's gonna be blessed? We have opportunity now, I don't know about you, but since I got born again, and repented of the abortion I paid for. And since I repented of the lifestyle I lived before I came to Christ, I've been praying that God would overturn that. Well, the time is now. This is like Goliath has been knocked down to the ground, but who's gonna chase after his brothers? And who's gonna see to it that that giant never comes back again? Tuesday is a big part of that. And what we do outside of that is a big part of that. We need to be talking to people. And look, sometimes all people need is to see the truth. I watch these man on the street things. There's some groups that I follow, National Right to Life and other groups like that that are really out there doing the good, fighting the good fight, putting pictures out. And they'll show people, hey, watch this video. This is an actual sonogram picture of a second trimester abortion going on. What do you think about that? If you dare to finish watching it, what do you think about that afterward? Not a one's not bawling. Not a one of them's not melting down in tears at seeing what they were formerly advocating for. All right, I'll move on. Liberty, among these are liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We were called to rule and reign in the earth. We're his priests, we're to serve our God, and we're to just run wild and live free. Now, we don't use our liberty as an occasion to the flesh. We use our liberty as a means to serve one another. 
and the pursuit of happiness. How many, you can't guarantee happiness and it's not government's job to guarantee everybody's happy. Do you know it's not your responsibility to make anybody else happy? It's your responsibility to love. It's our responsibility to serve, but it's not on us. It's on each individual to take that gift, take that talent from the parable of the talents that God gave and make the most of it. Use it for his glory. Reproduce it, multiply it. God will have a great and glorious life. Whether you become wealthy in the natural or just wealthy with friends, wealthy with a joyful life, whatever the case may be, by being good stewards of that, we move the kingdom of heaven forward and we live that dream. That's where it's for. And so to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Do you know that's a new covenant concept? The consent for those in governmental authority coming from people is a new covenant concept that was never seen before in any of the nations of the earth who believed, you know, the divine right of kings, you've heard that term, that existed long before European kings claimed it, meaning everybody had the sense that kings are the ones who grant rights, like, you know, like a lord granting the serfs right in their little dominion. That rights came from human authority. No, it's actually the other way around. We are saying we agree with God that you're to lead us and you have our permission to govern us. That's a biblical concept. Do you know that, all right, so I'm the pastor here, we have elders here. Do you know there's not a thing that any of us has authority over any saint of God in? Not a thing. I don't have the right to tell you what to do with your life. I don't have authority over you. I can't come to your house and punish you because you sinned last week. And I've never been tempted to do that, by the way. I got enough, self-control is enough for me. I don't need other control. That's not a fruit of the spirit. You know that, right? Self-control is a spirit, not control. So on a, on a good day, self-control is enough. So how, how is it that we in the kingdom of heaven do government? By permission, by love permission. The people of God say we agree with heaven that you're called to lead and you're gonna serve us on God's behalf. Not replace God, but you're gonna serve us on God's behalf. That's what kingdom authority is about and that's what we got in this declaration. These were, you know, our framers sat under the preachers of the Great Awakening. They sat under George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. And every pulpit during that season was sharing about godly government because there was actual opportunity. Hey, we might be able to actually use the scriptures for once. Instead of some tyrant telling us, hey, put that Bible away. Don't translate it into the language so all the people read it and get some crazy idea in their head that they don't need a king. So that first generation, that's why they wrote that from the consent of the governor. So Romans, uh, Romans 13 says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities oppose the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation unto themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. You want to have no fear of authority? Do what's good. And you'll have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. It doesn't bear the sword for nothing. An avenger who practices on the, brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but for um, conscience sake, for because of this you pay taxes. Yeah, taxes is in the Bible too, not just tax collectors as like a, oh, sinners and tax collectors. Pay your taxes, why? We're contributing to the common good. 
We're giving money to those we've said, hey, can you lead for us? Coordinate things for us, administrate for us, all the things that we want you to do, and here's some money to do it. That's what taxes are supposed to be about. I'm not going down that road right now. <laughs> Rulers are servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing. So we have a covenant document. And I'm going I'm to start l- wrapping up here and landing the plane, although I'm so passionate about this and I'm so excited, actually. The reason why I'm jumping around is not because I'm mad, by the way. Even if I look, when I talk about abortion, I know I might look a little mad, but I'm not mad. I'm excited. I mean, I'm mad that it happened for so long and I'm upset at the pastors I've seen online advocating for abortion using scripture. Oh man, you know, not much that makes me want to reach through a screen. But that one, don't, don't put pastor in front of your, anyway. <laughs> Come back, Holy Spirit, help me out. <laughs> I'm passionate about this because I believe God's doing something extraordinary and what I love about it is we can look at the ancient landmarks. We can look at things that have already been done. The seed is still good. The tree that grew from that, though it might be overgrown right now and in need of pruning, it's still good. The key of the keystone state, which we still are, the key still fits. I believe that what God does in Pennsylvania will be an example to the nation. You know, everybody, I don't know how it happened, but everybody kept saying, hey, what, as it goes in California, so it goes for the nation. No, it's not. Oh, please, Jesus, no, it's not. How about what happens in Pennsylvania once again? as it was in the beginning, that we will become the example to the other states. This is what it looks like when your God's the Lord. This is what it looks like when freedom actually from the Spirit of God reigns free again. How about that? All right, that would be awesome, right? All right, so we have this covenant document and um, I can sing the praises of God and the genius of it. The founding fathers all did for what they did in this. But here's the preamble to our Constitution. We, the people of the United States, All right, so this is us, this is a covenant agreement. We are all together before the presence of God, which by the way is the meaning of the word church. Ecclesia was a gathering of all the leaders, all the men in a patriarchal society, all the men to come to a place to legislate. They would offer their input and their wisdom and they would agree together, this is gonna be our policy on that thing. So we're, we're gonna agree that that's allowed to happen and we all agree that's not allowed to happen. They all brought their authority to the table, they joined together, and then basically they could have said, and we the people have agreed that we're not gonna allow that business in this town or whatever may be the case. In order to form a more perfect union, that's why it's a covenant document, 13 colonies, free and independent states, as they were called in the Declaration of Independence, coming together now before God to make covenant with each other. And it was quite a wild and wooly time. If you read some of the transcripts of the Constitutional Convention, I mean, they, they got to fist to cuffs. It was intense. I mean, you got 13 colonies sending their best and brightest representatives who were all revolutionary war heroes. They, they fought in a war for this, and they come representing. How many you know there was not a weak mind around that table? There wasn't a weak person in the room. These be, imagine, just imagine a room full of Donald Trump. There you go. Now you got a picture. That's what it was like. These guys were passionate and they were educated. If they were educated at Harvard or Yale during that time, both of those institutions were up and running, their freshman year project was to make their own translation of the New Testament from the Greek. Freshman year, before they even took Greek at the, at the uh, seminary level, at the college level. And they were 14 when they did that, by the way. Yeah, just saying. There you go. I got the youth's attention now. 14 Greek. That's all Greek to me. 
That's how educated these guys were and how passionate they're. You think they didn't know the word of God after translating it from the Greek? They know it better than I do, that's for sure. That's what they had in them when they came together around this table. Establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. These are the things we want our federal government to do. All the states had their own governing authority and they were all federations in their own right or republics in their own right rather. Um, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare. These are all the things we want the central government to do. Secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity. That's why we're writing this document. That's why this covenant agreement is gonna exist. As the law of Moses was for Israel, that was their covenant document with God, so the Constitution of the United States is our covenant with one another as states before God. We ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. That's our founding. The Bible during the Constitutional Convention was quoted and used as a source of authority and wisdom in a third of the quotes from that convention. If you ever have the time and you love history, you can read the whole thing because they had little transcribers there, you know, taking notes. That, I wish they could have typed it. Probably it would be easier to read, but they, they wrote it all down. A third of the statements made were from the Bible. They would quote Romans 13, they would quote Deuteronomy. That book was, the book of Deuteronomy was quoted more than any other source that they used. For how do we set this government up? How, you know, the, the genius of the three independent branches and balance of power that exists in all of that. They had other resources, but they used the book of Deuteronomy. Listen to this and tell me if it doesn't sound like some things in our constitution. This is what, um, the Lord said, when you enter the land, the Lord gives you to possess it and live in it, and you say, hey, I want a king over me like all the nations who are around me. In other words, when you're ready to set up your government, because you know, Israel coming out of Egypt had no government. They had tribes, they had heads of tribes, the lead father of every tribe would be their leader, but they didn't have a government. Moses was their government. That's why Jethro came and said, Mo, you can't have all the people coming to you for every decision. You need 70, 0.70 elders to spread the government. And they used that, by the way, at the Constitutional Convention. How to spread out authority to multiple levels of judge, all the way up to a Supreme Court. Um, when you say that and you're ready to form your government, here's some things. You'll set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. How do you know who to vote for? Pray. I know it sounds so basic, well, like, of course I pray, but do you pray before you've listened to a bunch of people who tell you what they believe in and what they stand for and what they'll do, allegedly, if they get into office? Do the talking heads have more influence or does God in heaven have more influence? That's where it needs to begin because I, uh, I don't know where we'll find agreement or disagreement, but God uses pagans sometimes for his glory. God uses people that would, I would never allow to teach Sunday school but God uses them. And what if that is God's chosen vessel, even though they're offensive in some ways to Christian values? I mean, God always works with imperfect people because that's all he's got to work with. And there's always gonna be problems in it. We're not electing a, a national pastor. We're not electing national elders. We're electing people who are gonna go, yes, they ought to have good godly character. Yes, that is the most important quality. But character is represented in many ways. Somebody could present themselves as a Christian and quote scripture and then promise certain things when they're out there campaigning. And then when they go in and they sit in an office of government, they do the exact opposite. That's not character. That's not godly character. That's political manipulation. We just elected the leaven of Herod because they could quote scripture. So we gotta pray. We gotta pray. 
We don't, we're, we're wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We gotta pray just because somebody says and presents certain things to us, we are people who have supernatural discernment. We need to first say, God, who is your choice for this? Even if at first they're offensive to us. Even if at first we say they don't reflect the kind of lifestyle that I live, well maybe God is choosing them for such a time as this and we just need to know that. It's gotta be one from among your own countrymen. You know you have to be a native born citizen to be president. So sorry, all you immigrants, all you immigrants, sorry, James, you cannot be president. <laughs> but you can serve in the Senate or in the House of Representatives should you choose to. If you're crazy enough to go into that, you can, but you have to be a natural born citizen to be president of the United States. That's right in our Constitution. They got that from that scripture right there. Why? You want somebody who's born and bred, like whose life literally came from the soil of the nation he's gonna lead. So can we elect somebody to a national office of president who doesn't love this nation? Who doesn't believe God's best for it? Can we elect somebody who in campaigning for president is speaking against the very country that he or she wants to lead? I don't think so. You gotta be from your own countrymen. You love this place and your desire is to serve her into all of it. Moreover, you shall not multiply horses for himself. So, and, and he shouldn't get a lot of wives for himself or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Look, it's upon us and the days of people going into elected office and coming out multimillionaires has gotta stop. It's a violation of scripture should not be using their office to become wealthy. That's a red flag right there. Somebody goes in and they're, you know, making 80, 100,000 a year, they come out a multimillionaire, something's up. They should not be increasing silver and gold for themselves. That's right out of the scripture. That's why the vision for, you know, all the elected offices was that you'd serve one term or two terms and go back to your business. Uh, and that's where I'm gonna stop on that one. <laughs> come about when he sits on the throne, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll. Now this is a king. This is like one man rule, authoritarian, sovereign king ruling over a nation. And God said this, when that king gets set into office, his first thing, I want him to write the book of Deuteronomy out. I believe he just meant that one book. Maybe it was all five of the books of Moses, I don't know. He's gonna write himself his own copy of the law. He's gonna know it inside and out. He's gonna know the law on the internal part and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. And he'll learn to fear his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. That, by the way, was the first time in world history that a king was put under the law. Or so it was supposed to be. We know how the kings of Israel and Judah ruled later on. Not all of them did that. But this was God saying, you are not above the law. I'm the lawgiver. You will be under the law of the nation that you lead. You're gonna follow the same law that you put on all of the people so that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen and he won't turn aside from the commandment. You might be called king, you might be called president, president you might be prime minister, but you're not above the people. You're under them, serving them. That's how it's gonna be. The United States Constitution is a covenant agreement between the states and God, and it remains the ultimate law of our land. We should not be voting for people who will not uphold the Constitution. It's right in the, the oath of office. I swear to uphold and defend the Constitution, or I swear to um, preserve and defend the Constitution. Protect and defend? I don't know, I've never taken it myself. So I, that, uh, if they won't, then what we've elected is a spirit of lawlessness. 
We've elected people who say, I will use political manipulation to do things. I'll tell everybody it's for their own good, but I'm subverting. I'm getting myself above the law of the land, not serving under the law of the land. There ought to be people that are being elected in office. Do not, we cannot cast our vote for somebody who will not submit themselves to that covenant law of the land any more than we'd want a pastor who doesn't care about the scriptures. That's what we're in need of. The most important quality in an elected official is his or her commitment to support and defend the Constitution. Why do I say that? Because the reality is we're not going to have all Christians serving in office. But the Constitution itself is a gift of God given so that if we just get back to the simplicity of that thing, that's why I say we're in the need of major pruning. I count at least 25 federal agencies that are unconstitutional. We're going to need a lot of pruning. I'm not, I'm not going to get down there. That, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That's my humble opinion, but I think it's right. Because I've read the Constitution. It's kind of short. You know, it's not like this big, long read. It's kind of short. I read it, and there's a lot of stuff in there I don't see. A lot of stuff we do that's, that's not in there. Y'all shouldn't be doing that in D.C. You shouldn't. Anyway, <laughs> so what we're in need of is an awakening of the church to her role, followed by a return to the principles of liberty upon which God founded our nation. That's what we need to be praying for. First, that the church, we would remember and govern accordingly. We would be the light of the world. And yes, I believe that God will bubble up from among us leaders that are righteous, leaders that are godly, leaders who fear God and actually go forth. I was with Doug Mastriano at a, a meeting down at Life Center. and I'm, I praise our next governor. That's not Hillside endorsing a governor, that's me, all right? He's a good, godly man, and he fears God. And I heard the man pray, and it was powerful. I'm like, man, you could come preach anytime with the way he knows the word of God and his values. I don't know everything about the man, but that's the kind of person who belongs in governing authority. Is he perfect? I doubt it. I haven't seen what his flaws are, and for sure an office will reveal all of that. But we need to be looking for people that say, you know, God first, and value it when God's people who have a leadership anointing and are called to office, when they bubble up and God brings them to the surface, they deserve our daily prayer and our undivided support. You go and do what God called you to do. You go and be the leader that God called you to be and I've got your back in prayer. Did I offend you by endorsing a candidate from the pulpit? I kind of sort of did that a little bit. I, I just, now that I've met him, I really love the man. This is the testimony that I believe God wants to restore. And this was a guy named Alexis de Tocqueville who was a uh, uh, philosopher, he wasn't a Christian, philosopher from France of all places who came here in the 1830s to study, 1820s and 30s, to study the United States of America. He's fascinated with it. And actually what he came here for initially was to study our prison system because he heard that it was progressive, that they were treating prisoners with respect, which had never happened in a European country for a time untold. And so he wrote some things. He wrote a really long 800-page, and, and it is boring, even if you love history, but there's some things that he, like, when he summed up, he said, what is it that makes democracy in America so successful, where in France, you know, we're cutting off heads and it's just so chaotic and, and all that? Why did it work here? And here was his summary. Upon my arrival in the United States, and I'm, I'm reading this to you, not for history's sake, but to fuel prayer, because we're going to pray in just a moment together. This is to be fuel for prayer, because this is the testimony 50 years out from the, the revolution. This is what God had done, so that we truly were a light to the nations. Other nations came and looked. How do you do it here? 
You know, yeah, European nations have democracy, but they didn't till they watched to see how the holy experiment in the colonies went. And then when they saw that, hey man, it's thriving, and people are going from all over the world to that place, and they're finding their dream, they can fulfill their dream, they can be rich even though they were born poor, they can do whatever they wanna do. And they haven't even found the limits of the territory. That, and you could go and have like five acres even though you were born a serf. It was just amazing. And the testimonies going around the world and boat upon boat are coming with immigrants to settle this place and explore the territory. And he said, I gotta go and see how they do it. And here's what he said. Upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. And the longer I stayed there, the more I perceived the great political consequences resulting from this new state of things. In France, I'd almost always seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom marching in opposite directions. But in America, I found they were intimately united and that they reigned in common over the same country. Now this is just a man observing the fruit of five or four decades at that time of living out according to our constitution and what happened when the spirit of the Lord was there and people were free. He goes on, he said, religion in America must be regarded as the foremost of the political institutions of that country. Can you say amen? No, I don't think you believe that at all. <laughs> Religion, now he used the word politics. Religion, he said, it's the church. That's the foremost governing authority in that nation. I thought I'd find it in their halls of Congress. I thought I'd find it in, in this great constitution they got. No, no, no. Once I got around the people of God and I saw how much influence the church has, that's the governing authority of the nation. That's what he's saying. For if it does not impart a taste for freedom, meaning religion, it sure facilitates the use of freedom. I sought for the key to the greatness and genius of America and her harbors and her fertile fields, boundless forests and her rich mines and vast world commerce, her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for it in her democratic Congress and her matchless constitution, but not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness that I understand the secret of her genius and of her power. Do you hear this testimony? from a pagan Frenchman of all things a Frenchman I stumble over that one but hey praise God he's French and he's testifying it's an undeniable demonstration of what God does with a free people the holy experiment is wildly successful even more so than the people predicted it would be America is great because she is good, he goes on to say. And if America ever ceases to be good, now he's prophesying, she will cease to be great. The safeguard of all morality is their religion, and morality is the best security of law as well as the surest pledge of freedom. The Americans combine the notions of Christianity and of liberty so intimately in their minds that it's impossible to make them conceive of the one without the other. Oh, for the day, Lord. Oh, for the day. Christianity is the companion of liberty in all its conflicts, the cradle of its infancy, and the divine source of all of its claims. Now I'd love for somebody to come from some other nation and travel around the U.S. and say that about our churches and that about the church's influence and that about the public mindset that of course we're a free and independent people because we love God. Of course we have joy and we prosper and we love life because God is our nation's God. 
can you grab, circle up with a few people and let's pray. Go ahead, just, just real quick, just circle up with whoever you feel comfortable praying with. If you're by yourself, just get together. And I'm gonna walk us through George Washington's inaugural prayer. Because if anybody would ever doubt that our nation was established in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm about to prove it wrong historically. Because this speech was given. This was New York, 1789 Federal Hall. George Washington had just been presented to the Congress of the United States who elected him. Remember, we have electors. The electors gathered together and they said, yes, we agree. He has the votes. He's the president. You know what's amazing in our early history? Uh, there were no ballots with names on it back then. You had to write in who you wanted to be president. You had to write in who you wanted to be your congressional representative, write in who you wanted to be your senator. There was no check all the red ones or check all the blue ones back then. You had to know the person. And George Washington won by a landslide. Why? Because people knew he's a godly man. They wanted him to be king. Do you know we were close to having King George in America? People wanted him to be king. They were so in love with his leadership, his humility, the way he honored God and all of what he did. And he won in a landslide. And in his inaugural address, which is one of them really long speeches, he went on and on about how this is humbling. I don't deserve this honor, but here I am. And here's what he said. He said, it would be particularly improper to omit in this first official act his inaugural address. This is the first official act of the first president of our nation, okay? This is what he said. It would be improper to, to, uh, to omit my fervent supplications to that almighty being who rules over the universe, who presides in the councils of nations, and whose providential aid can supply for every human defect. He's looking around saying, we're every one of us, every revolutionary, everyone who started this thing, we all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And it's only because we have an almighty God to glue us together by his grace and by his sovereign authority that, we're, that we even have a nation today to give thanks for and whose providential aids can supply every human defect that his blessing or his benediction may consecrate to the liberty and the happiness of the people of the United States, a government instituted by themselves for these essential purposes and may enable every instrument employed in its administration to execute with success the functions allotted to his charge. So there's an exhortation. Senate, you gotta do your job. House, you need to do your job. Supreme Court justices, you need to do your job and you're gonna do it by the grace of God and with the aid of God. That is the official first speech, first exhortation given by a president of the United States. Yes, our nation was established in Christ. Oh yes, it was. Were they all Christian? No, but it most certainly was established in Christ. I don't care what any historian says to try to twist and move it around. This is what the president said, the first one. And then he prayed and he used... Um, uh, King James language in his prayer. Um, oh, he closed by saying, no people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than those of the United States. That's the seed, that's the beginning, and so it is today. Amen? Then he prayed. He prayed a long prayer, but I'll read it out and then we'll just stop on a few parts and let's join together in praying for our nation. And uh, one last time, this is not a substitute for going out on Tuesday and doing your responsibility, fulfilling your divine obligation 
It is a divine obligation to be at the poll and use your voice. Yeah, it's on a ballot, but use your voice to say this is who I believe the Lord wants in positions of governmental authority so that the righteous will rule and the people rejoice. Almighty God, we make our earnest prayer that you will keep the United States in your holy protection. Would you just with your group right now pray that God will protect the United States. Go ahead and just pray. We have enemies foreign. We have enemies domestic. So Father, we come before you right now. Go ahead and pray. I'll pray too, but you go ahead and pray. Father, we come and pray right now that you will protect us from enemies we don't even know about, from forces of evil that are working within our ranks and forces of evil who are conspiring from outside of our ranks to destroy this precious thing that you've established here that we call the United States of America. Father, we acknowledge some may trust in horses, some trust in chariots. We can trust in our mighty military. We could trust in our mighty ability to wage war, but we trust in the name of our God. We ask you, Father, to be sovereign enough over our nation, sovereign enough over even our mistakes, even the things that we've foolishly done to entangle ourselves with nations who now may turn against us. We ask you to, to fulfill your word to us and protect us. Would you hear the cry of our brother George? Would you hear the cry of the first man who consecrated this nation to you and protect us? Protect us, Lord, not until the day that your will has been fully accomplished shall this generation, shall this nation cease from the earth. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Then he went on, that you will incline the hearts of the citizens to cultivate a spirit of subordination and obedience to government. You know, we have rebellion in our root system and commingled with the proper spirit of our founding was also this violent revolutionary spirit which did some horrific things during the war. We need, to, we need to really pray along with joy. He wisely saw. We need a people who are good citizens, who submit to good government. So let's pray. Let's just pray for the people that we'd be easy to govern. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. I pray in the spirit of Romans 13 that we would be in subjection to governing authorities. I pray you'd give us wisdom for when a government's crossed the line and caused us or tried to force us to do things that are contrary to your word, but in all of the things that are pertaining to our life and godliness, all the things that you commissioned them to do, would you help us to make it easy for them to serve? Lord, I pray that you would put a spirit of prayer in us to pray for those in authority, that you would remind our heart frequently the importance of being before your throne on behalf of those who now sit in places of authority, who have to make sometimes impossible decisions on our behalf. Would you be with them, Lord, and would you turn them toward righteousness and make us easy to rule? I pray that you'd put down the spirit of violence that rules in our nation right now, that you'd put down a spirit of lawlessness that rules in our nation right now, that you would stamp out even the revolutionaries in our midst who are prepared to burn things to the ground literally and spiritually, just because they don't understand. Father, I pray that you would come in such a way that you would make the people of these United States easy to govern so that we'll have less laws and less need of governing authority. Would you bring about such an awakening and revival in the heart of the church? Bring back the backslidden, the lukewarm, bring back those who are stuck in a spirit of apathy and make us those who, are, who need no government interference to do what's right. Thank you, Jesus, for accomplishing that even in our day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
he went on, uh, he prayed in God that, that we would entertain a brotherly affection and love for one another and for their fellow citizens of the United States at large. Good. Would you pray, and I realize if I pray over the mic, it makes it hard for you to pray. Would you just pray for the spirit of division that's in our nation right now? For the factions that we've broken into and the tribalism that, that exists right now. There is right and wrong, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't oppose unrighteousness, but there's this anger in the atmosphere right now, and it's just about impossible to talk to anybody about important issues. Can we pray into that? Because we have spiritual authority. Father, you said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So come and anoint our prayer right now as we pray for, for peace within our nation. Go ahead and pray within your groups. I'll be quiet for a minute. Thank you, Jesus, for raising up your children to be salt and light, to be those who in the midst of conflict provide the wise word of peace, wisdom that comes from above in such a way that no one can gainsay. Restore to your people the simplicity of wisdom and remove from us the spirit of arguing, the spirit of using manipulative tools and, and other things, name calling. Would you remove that and remove from us a tongue that engages in corrupt communication, but give us a tongue that instructs the wisdom of a disciple be upon our lips in Jesus' name, instructing and showing the world what true peace looks like, what real wisdom looks like. I pray in every workplace and every school that we'd have an understanding of your ways and be able to express it in such a way that it brings peace and it turns hearts. You said, he that wins souls is wise. Would you make us wise so they could win over souls? We could win over souls who will then project their authority into a government that truly engages in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And Washington went on and he said, and finally, that you'll be most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves with that charity, humility, and peaceful temper of mind, which were the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion, and without a humble imitation of whose example in these things, we can never hope to be a happy nation. Grant our supplication, we beseech you, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, as your name was invoked, Jesus, your name was invoked by our founding president, by the first man to hold the office of ultimate, of supreme authority in our land. We say in Jesus' name, come and rule. In Jesus' name, reproduce righteousness. May righteousness be multiplied. Let your people be righteous in the way we go about our lives. Let the lost even around us, those that don't even know anything about you and your ways, I pray that their, our example would raise their righteousness up, that there would be a, a sense of restoring the conscience of those, that godly conscience as Christians are shown to be a good example of what Jesus looks like, that we would present you well in the earth, that those around us would just say, can you just lead us, just show us how, how it's done, and we'd they would learn the ways of heaven just by observing our lives. All right, let's, let's just close out. You can pray. I'm just gonna pray some closing prayer about Tuesday. Father, as we all go to exercise our authority as sons and daughters of God in a ballot to, to elect those who will represent us in the Senate and our state government at, at many levels, 
We ask you, Lord, to overwhelm us with your wisdom. I pray that there would be encounters with Jesus, even those who would use their God-given authority to go and pull or elect somebody who will, who will govern in a way that's ungodly. I pray you'd convict them on their way in. I just had this, this phrase, Jesus is allowed to engage in electioneering at the polls. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would engage in that, that you would turn the hearts of people, like awaken them to righteousness, even as they're driving, and even right up until the moment that they stand in front of that ballot to put their authority towards something. I pray that only those who will see to it that righteousness prevails, that, we, that liberty is secure, that will serve the people are elected to office. Would you make us a generation that see what it looks like when God's the Lord of our nation once again? We thank you, Lord. I pray you give us a hope-filled, optimistic view. No matter what happens Tuesday night, you're the sovereign Lord of our nation. You were consecrated as such. We, we echo the voices of those who lived 270 years ago, and we say your, our nation will be blessed because our God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Secure the freedoms, secure life, so that this nation, the United States of America, will again remain and be an easy place to find the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I hope to run into some of you Tuesday at the school, but uh, no matter whether I run into you or not. I mean, look, Craig's going to gimp his way in there and vote. You can make it. You got no excuse. Drag your neighbors along too. Love you.